Welcome to Hashtag Jazz, the family-friendly Grow a f***ing pair Podcast exclusively about Utah jazz basketball I hate this history class From two of the most Emotionally unstable Guys in the business And now, here are your hosts Jason Walker and Trey Sanders Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hashtag Jazz. We actually have put together back-to-back weeks of episodes now. <laughs> I've managed to stick around. Mm. And just in time now, because things are winding down, getting interesting for the Jazz. There's more and more to get excited about. The Jazz clinched a playoff spot. And we pretty much know who they're going to play. Barring some really crazy circumstances, the Jazz should be playing the Portland Trailblazers in the first round of the of the NBA playoffs, and for the third year in a row, the Jazz will probably be the fifth seed. I don't think they're catching the, the Trailblazers that I'm aware of. Well, maybe they could. Let's see the win totals. Uh, actually, they, they could. It's possible. So it's possible it could end up flipping the 4-5 matchup, but I think that would require us to... That would require Portland to lose a couple of times and the Jazz to win a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, probably win out and have the Trailblazers lose a couple of games. And as of right now, they're going up against the Nuggets, but the Nuggets are also resting a few guys. Uh, they they look like they might be bunkering down. Since they've secured a top three seed, they might be bunkering down a little bit. Try and stay healthy for the playoffs. But you never know. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing wanted to get into... Real quick here, has been the recent play of a certain Grayson Allen. And I don't know when the last time we talked about Grayson Allen on this show was. It was probably the show we did after the draft. And since then, I'm not sure we've really brought him up. Which No. Yeah. I mean, in that he's been re- in the G League. <laughs> yeah. And that really probably summarizes how his rookie season has gone. He's been irrelevant. Uh, he's been injured a lot of the time or just in the G League or sitting on the bench. He's, I mean, he might have played in half the games this season if he's lucky. Mostly just the garbage time games. Let's see, where is he at in terms of games played? 35. And apparently started one game. That actually kind of scares me. When did he start? I'm suddenly afraid now. That must have been an interesting game. I think it was the I think it was the first time Exum and Howell were out, so he had like no choice. Yeah, and maybe Royce was out too, and like, <laughs> and then Donovan had to pull a Rodney Hood and go uh, go to the bathroom before the game and miss the start. <laughs> That's just an interesting. <laughs> I should go back and figure out which one that is, but I mean, thirty-five games, ten minutes a game, and that's including the last two games where he's played. So it's probably. You know, probably averaging like eight or so minutes a game in 33 games coming into this week, essentially. And then he puts together back-to-back performances, and he's actually going to get some minutes here against Los Angeles. We're uh, we're recording. They've probably just barely started that game, or they're they were supposed to have started about nine minutes ago. But he'll he'll get some more burn in that game because once again the Jazz have about a million injuries, and we'll get to that in a minute. But what has been your impression of Grayson Allen, uh, Trey? Because I got to watch him pretty much the entire game against the Suns, and then 
the game was on in the background where I was at for Sacramento when he scored those 23 points. I didn't really see a ton of it, but what has been your impression of Grayson Allen in the, these two games where he's put up 35 points and is shooting 16 of 23 in those two games? I mean, it's someone is kind of that same fits that same mentality of next guy up for them. But I mean, obviously uh, what was it like a few weeks ago, he'd put up like stupid numbers in the G league playoff game. So obviously this is kind of a culmination of his hard work in the G league, kind of uh, that humility and staying patient on that front. But I mean, it's just been awesome to see kind of, you know, the evolution, I guess, if you will, of Grayson Allen post Duke. I mean, you kind of see um, a lot of the stuff he was able to do at Duke on the floor against these NBA teams. Now, given they were not the best NBA teams, Sacramento, give them credit. They're tough. So the fact that we just destroyed them was awesome. But I, I mean, I love it. And I even said the end of the game or towards the end of the game, uh what was it friday night i was like you know if we if we get this version of grayson allen going through the playoffs i think we're going to be very dangerous yeah i think he could be an interesting weapon if we need him um i think this is about the best of this is a sign of the best of grayson allen i think we can get in the nba because he's you know i was thinking about it i think it was saturday or friday or so, shortly after the sacramento game and I was just thinking to myself, if, if Grayson Allen wants to you know, be a good NBA player, he needs to model himself after, think of J.J. Redick. I think Redick went to Duke as well, didn't he? He was yeah. kind of very similar in that people hated him too. And you also look at guys like uh, Joe Ingles in a way. Ingles is different because he's also like four or five inches taller than Allen and J.J. Redick. But there's guys who are in that you know, 6'4", six, 6'5", six, mold that are just really good shooters. I know Danny Green comes to mind, although Danny Green's, I think, like 6'6 or so. But you see that mold of, you know, coincidentally, they all happen to be white, I guess, or... Oh, does Danny Green come... I don't know. No. No, I, I Danny, think I, Green is, Danny Green is not a white man. I, I was wondering if, like... Because, obviously, he looks white on TV screen. I was wondering if he was, like, that kind of darker complexion where you can't quite tell. I just didn't want to offend anybody. Right. <laughs> um... But anyway, that's the kind of mold you're looking at. These these shooters who can be good on defense. None of them that I'm aware of outside of Joe Ingles are really good playmakers. I know J.J. Redick can kind of initiate offense, but he's a come-off-the-screen, catch-and-shoot, or you know, like I said, you know, catch-and-shoot guy, or come-off-the-screen and shoot a three-pointer. That's what he does. You also see Kyle Korver doing this. There's a role in the NBA where you're basically that white guy that can shoot since I happen to have named off like five or six white guys. You know, that's a role that he can fill and then try and be a scrappy defender. He's never going to be a Tony Allen or a, you know, insert really good defender. But I, I think what we saw in these last two games, because he's made five three-pointers, he went, let's see, five of nine from three. You know, that's what he's going to be going forward. So I'm not sure he can really be a, a ball handler. Because one of the things you notice here is uh, he had 11 turnovers in the two games and two assists, and that's it. So there is a limit to his game. Sure, but I also kind of think that's more by design for Quinn because, I mean, if you remember, I think it was his third year at Duke, uh, Coach K put him as the primary ball handler. He, you know, he could make plays. Um 
and he's highly athletic. I think he's way more athletic than J.J. Redick ever was, you know. So, I mean, it's just a matter of kind of him evolving. I mean, right now, sure, he's going to be that guy that they just going to get open on the off-ball or even on-ball screens to get that open shot. Yeah, and so it, maybe he can work on that ball handling. Um, it'll maybe just be from an off-guard position where he can be a ball handler. I, again, I, I just don't see him as a point guard, and I could be wrong, but for a guy who's jacking up 14 shots, and you know, I, I feel like there could have been more assists, more good passes. I didn't necessarily see bad passing out of him, and I don't remember seeing where those turnovers were at. Uh, I mean, and I watched pretty much all the Phoenix game. I don't remember all those turnovers. Maybe I just kind of forgot about them. But, you know, that is something he's really going to have to work on. Because if he's averaging five and a half turnovers a game, you know, even if he is putting up, I don't know, he's averaging around 17 and a half points or something like that in these two games, you know, that's not going to be worth it for five and a half turnovers a game. Sure. But 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 it's encouraging, and that's the thing is that I can nitpick some of the things he wasn't doing well. It is encouraging because, like I said, I think Grayson Allen's role can be a, you know, a shooter type. He was shooting awfully for this season. I mean, he was I think barely above thirty five percent, or he was, he was barely under forty percent on the season, or maybe it was barely above 35%, because right now he's at 38%. That's including the two games where he shot like 70%. Mm-hmm. And then I think he was just under 30% from three. So he was having some of the most atrocious shooting numbers. And so it's encouraging to see that the part of his game that was advertised, you know, on draft day, when you picked him, it's like, this is an NBA-ready shooter. It's nice that we actually get to see that because I was really worried about him just being a bust. Because I I started to write him off as such. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was about ready to bite my tongue because you know I remember, um, you know, when we were talking about after he had been drafted, how I kind of you know saw him as one of those players that's going to come from college and he's going to be NBA ready. I was going to have to say, well, yeah, I got that one wrong, but. Yeah, I mean, it is nice to see. And that's why I say I think the G League did a lot for him. Because I think the major reason he was making not just bad decisions, but missing those shots is that I think it was just nerves. I just don't think he really knew what the NBA was going to be when he got here. Yeah, and I think that is really good for him. And some of the things that maybe were plaguing him were mostly rooted in, you know, lack of playing time. Sure. Which can be the worst problem to have because if they're debilitating problems that playing time has to fix but you can't get on the floor to fix them then you just wash out of the league unless you somehow get your chance which some players do some players don't and i don't know there was actually a piece i read by uh tony jones Uh, he he wrote it basically kind of like what you're saying um you reminded me of it a couple of times where Allen has basically been working on just working, be it on defense, Mm. be it on shooting. A lot of that's come in the G League by necessity because that's where he's received the most playing time. And you see it in his numbers he's put up in the G League. They're pretty decent. They're, you know, above the college level numbers he was putting up. And he's able to learn there. And then now he's been able to apply it. And I think that's really nice that he's had two games at least now where he's been able to apply it 
because normally you'd see a guy like him where he comes into the game, you know, his most meaningful minutes will be a two-minute stretch in the middle of the second quarter when Donovan and Ricky are both out and whatnot, and you go out there and you say, all right, Grayson, go stand in the corner, and maybe Joe Ingles will pass it to you if our play breaks down. You're like our fourth option on this play. Mm-hmm. That's not going to help him apply diddly jack. It's right. going to teach him to stand in the corner and be useless unless you pass it to him. So it's nice that he's had a, a couple of games. Yes, like you pointed out, they were against, shall we say, inferior teams. Sacramento's actually not bad. I think they're better than their record shows, but totally. Phoenix is awful. And he, Grayson was being guarded by Jimmer Fredette, which... I don't I, think I, he ever played defense in his life. <laughs> I think I could get a couple of lucky points off of Jimmer Fredette, and Jimmer's supposed to be an NBA-caliber player, so... That'll tell you a couple things about Jimmer's defense. So, yeah. I think it is really nice. I'm, I, the still, the jury is still very much out on Grayson Allen, and most of them are turning in a bust verdict still. But he's turning a few heads, including mine, where, you know, I think as far as this season, I don't think he's going to get playoff minutes, unless something like injuries happen. They, or they continue, because right now he's playing because of injuries. If they linger into the postseason, sure, he can maybe get a few minutes, or maybe even Quinn will just cut him out and will run like a seven-man or eight-man rotation, which would be a nightmare. But I think Grayson really needs to be, you know, put his head down, really focus on next year, get some minutes there, because that could be his coming out year if things break his way and if he works hard and develops, you know, as much as the step we've seen him take this year. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna have to work hard this summer to um, perfect what he can. I mean, obviously, you don't want to get too ambitious, but I mean, the thing with Grayson is, you know, he still has all of the tools that he will need to fill that role, um, and it's just a matter of him staying consistent. And I think um, one, he's gonna have to get a little bit tougher. I mean, the dude has ridiculous athleticism. I mean, we saw that against Sacramento, even, uh, Phoenix, I think, you know, there was one of those plays, he got the foul called on it, but he went up with, I can't remember who it was with Phoenix. And I mean that he was so high in the air. Um, so, I mean, obviously that's something he can do, but the consistency on his shots is obviously one thing he should focus on. And then just, um, being mentally ready. I think that now that he's gotten a taste of it, especially um, these last two games, he'll probably most likely play tonight. Um, it's going to be good for him because it's something he can think on. And I, I, that's another reason the G League is so good is it, he hasn't treated it like um, it's, it's lower than him. You know, he doesn't, he hasn't, I, I don't know if it's public or not, but he doesn't look like it's gotten to him where he just feels like, well, I, I know I should be in the NBA. So why am I playing in the G League? He's using that as his, kind of springboard into the lineup i mean for him to be able to utilize the g league and get that experience there i mean it's only going to be good for him for next year yeah it's a lot like how rudy gobert because he went into the d league i don't know if it was the d league back when he was there and i think he's probably going to become the first uh, d league player to be an all-star if people ever actually recognize that he's good at least the (laughs) all-star voters because you know should have been one this year but whatever Still, right. still salty about it. But yeah, with Grayson Allen, I don't see him becoming an all-star, but you know, a good rotation player. I mean, you've mentioned his athleticism. You know, usually when you list off, you know, that white guy who can shoot, you know, Joe Ingles, J.J. Redick, and all the rest, 
they don't have the athleticism that Grayson does because he can get up. And I don't know if he truly has the lateral quickness that you'd like to see an NBA player, but the fact that he does have some athleticism, he does, does have, you know, NBA caliber athleticism. Yeah. That is, that is a huge, you know, positive for him because he doesn't have to overcome that, you know, along with everything else that he's going to have to overcome. You know, some consistency issues and yada, 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 go down the list for, you know, late first round pick rookies. So that, you know, we'll see how this goes. There's, there's a long path ahead of Grayson Allen. It may include more G League time. And, you know, I'd like to see end with him being a, a good rotation piece for the Jazz because, you know, the, the bench could really use a guy like him, come in, make some shots, maybe play 15 to 18 minutes a game and provide some good quality shooting. You know, you can always use more shooting. And yeah. Good well, and he, defense. And he could be a good defender too. I mean, he was a great defender. He was a pest in at Duke. And I, he showed signs of how dominant he can be at his position, even switching too on defense. Yeah, that's something that... um. I brought it up in a, a recap article and even in a tweet I wrote. Uh, after the Phoenix game, you know, he scored it, it, what was then a career-high 14 points, went 6-9 from the field, had a pretty decent night. But when they were asking, you know, they asked, I think, Quinn Snyder about it. And the first thing Quinn brings up is his defense. And he went on to talk about Grayson's offense a little bit, seeing there's some positive things there. But then they asked... Um, I think Donovan Mitchell was next, and Donovan was like, it wasn't even his offense, it was his defense. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they bring it up to Rudy, and he's like, it was his best defensive game of the year. And it's like, and that's something that Quinn Snyder uh, said earlier in the year. It's like, he was talking about transition defense specifically, but, you know, Quinn was like, yeah, his, his defense, you know, whether or not he makes the adjustment defensively will determine whether or not he plays. Right. He wanted to make sure Grayson knew that. He was basically calling him out publicly in the media that he had to make that uh, transition, not offensively, where everyone was kind of praising him. But, you know, you want to play on the Jazz, you got to play defense. And I think in these last two games, he's played defense. And that's one of the reasons why he played, I it was like 16 or 17 minutes against the Suns, and I think he played like 26 against the Kings. Yeah. And unlike Cal Neto, he didn't get hurt. Yeah, maybe uh, we can go into injuries now. We've we've praised uh, Grayson Allen enough, but I don't know how the heck we've had so many injuries. And you bring up Raul Neto, I swear every time Raul Neto comes back, or Raul Neto, I keep saying his name wrong, but he comes back for like a game or two, plays really well, like he keeps surprising me, and then he's injured just randomly, just. Yeah. It doesn't happen in-game. He doesn't, like, roll his ankle and leave the game or get nailed in the head by some center. He just plays the whole game or plays his minutes, and the next day he's on the injury report. Like, yeah, I don't on, get dude. it. It's <laughs> like, come on, dude. We love you, man. Stay off the injury report. I yeah, want to see well, you on the floor. I think it was Andy Larson on Twitter. I wish I would have saved it, but he was, like, breaking down how there's this weird correlation between like if Raul Neto's playing like between 13 to 15 minutes a game, he's, he's in the next game. But if he plays anywhere from 16 to 18 minutes a game, he's out for the next one. <laughs> Maybe he's just 
more fragile than uh, Dante Exum, which is saying a bit. I wouldn't go that far because at least <laughs> Raul plays games. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that they like miss the same number of games, but Dante Exum just has these like two month injuries, and Howell Netta goes out for like two weeks, and then he comes back and plays two games, and he misses another two weeks, and then he plays like five games, then he misses maybe a week, and like it's just Dante Don Exum will play like you know two months and then go out for another five, so yeah. It's just what's that? What happened to our point guards? They all get injured. Even Ricky Rubio. Again, like you go down the list. Let's see what the the current list before the Lakers game, which is actually now going on. Javale McGee has ten points right now for the Lakers, and they're winning by like seven. But yeah, Don takes him out. Uh, Derek Favors going through his back spasms. Cal Corver. I don't know how he got a knee injury. Then Raul Neto left ankle. Ricky Rubio somehow hurt his quad. It like happened when he was going up for a layup. I, I saw the play. I didn't really look closely to break it down. I just noticed the grimaced in pain and then left. So yeah, that's one of those knee to knee things. It's unfortunate. Yeah, they always happen, but it's just like we were thinking that the Jazz were so healthy. At least that's what I was thinking. I was like we're finally healthy. Everybody's doing fine. Derek Favors is playing, and then all of a sudden, like just the one game, bam, 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 like four people are out. And then like five people. It's like, wait a minute, what happened to our health? It like vanished. It didn't like accru- it didn't accrue like it did earlier in the season where it was just gradual. It was just all of a sudden, bam, half your rotation's out. Have fun. Right, yeah. To- horrible timing for injuries. Yeah, especially because, you know, this is a time where maybe you can make a push for the – have home court advantage for the first time in – well, like 2009, maybe? Or when was the last time we had home court advantage? Like 2008, 2009, or something like that? Probably, yeah. One of those years where we made a West. Well, 2007, I think, was the Western Conference playoff run. Or uh, the Western Conference Championship Series. Whatever it's called. Yeah, it had to have been Western that year. Let's see where. Uh, It looks like maybe 2007, 2000. Yeah, it would have been 08 because they finished first in their division back then. You got home court no matter what. So you either finished fourth, maybe third. Oh, heck, let's see. Let's open it up. The internet. Work faster. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out. I should have just opened up the... Sometimes you... Yeah, they were fourth. Finished fourth, they would have played the Rockets. I think they won that. Yeah, they won that series. So they made it to the second round. And then lost to somebody else. Alright. Well. <laughs> that's that. But, I mean, it looks like the Jazz probably finished fifth. I mean, if they lose tonight, which sadly is a possibility with the way this game is going. They're down nine points in the first quarter. And Portland looks to like they might be beating uh, the Nuggets. Like I said, they're kind of shutting shutting some people down. But the thing is, the other thing, kind of depending on whether or not the Jazz kind of lock in that fifth seed, or at least that four or five matchup, is the Clippers losing to the Warriors, who are playing right now. Those two teams are playing each other. Uh, if the Warriors beat the Clippers, then I think that pretty much seals it no matter what for the Jazz. 
Mm. I think I, I don't know exactly how masks work in this situation. I've never been super good at it. I can usually nail it in the NFL. Oh, that's also partially because a lot of times they have calculators that can do it for you. And there's also only like 16 games, so it makes yeah. things a lot easier. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, I know that I know that if you say if you say you're a game behind someone in the standings, that's two games. Each game counts for a half. So with after tonight, what is it? After tonight, I think there's two games left after this, right? Yeah, and if if we both lost, we'd be two and a half ahead of the Clippers. Yeah, so I mean, I think no matter what, we clinch that five seed. Um, yeah, now obviously, cause, cause... that could obviously change with more loss, with uh, you know more wins from you know the Clippers or whoever. But yeah, I think five is a is a lock at this point. Yeah, and especially because that that final game, we're gonna play the Clippers in the final installment mm-hmm. of the of the 2018-19 season so that could depending on if if we won we're going to play the nuggets if the jazz won against the nuggets then that might end up sealing it anyway because if the jazz lose tonight i think they'd have to lose again and again the last two games for the clippers to even have a chance to catch the jazz and obviously the clippers would have to win all of their games so right there's a whole lot of different ways Jazz can seal the fifth seed. And winning tonight would help against the Lakers, but they're kind of getting their own way. Again, injuries have some sway in that. Is you know, they're, they started Tabo Cephalosha again today. Uh, yep. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but let's let's look at the... Portland Trailblazers real quick. We'll probably finish on this unless something crazy happens. But let's let's kind of break down this Portland matchup because that's, obviously that's most likely who the Jazz will end up playing. It'll be them or um, the Rockets, maybe even the Clippers or Nuggets, depending on how that matches up. But we'll, we'll focus on Portland today as a most likely playoff opponent for the Jazz. So the Trailblazers, really the, the biggest news with them is the injury to, um, I had to say his first name, Yusuf Nurkic. Yep. Is that how you say his first name? Okay. Uh-huh. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> he, he had himself one of those gruesome leg injuries that happen uh, too often to people. And that's really big for them because he's, as far as I know, pretty much their only big man. Obviously, they have more on the roster, but like he's their guy down low. Uh, they're not like the Jazz, where they have Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors. As far as they know, they have Nurkic and other rotation players. I mean, I think their best big after him. Uh, oh, they have the. Oh, what's his name? They have oh, Cantor and the serial killer, whatever his name is. The serial killer. <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember his well, name. He he looks like a serial killer. Like he looks like um, what's his name from American Psycho? I can't remember his name. Are you talking right about now. Zach Collins? Yeah, yeah. yeah He's a, Zach, he looks like a serial killer. Does he? I'm gonna look up his picture. Now. <laughs> Zach Collins. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm kind of a younger serial killer, like the flashback when he's younger. Like that's what he looks like. <laughs> yeah. And then, he, then you get then you get the forward flashback, and he's got like the. I don't know the maybe the same hair, but some like 
uh, what do you call it, like five o'clock shadow and yeah, that same look in his eye. Yeah. He's that and... kid that you know. He's the kid you know was popular in high school, but was a <laughs> douche to everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least that's what he looked like. Uh, yeah. Went to Gonzaga though. I think that's where he went. But so it's, yeah, it's behind Nurkic. It's Collins, Zach Collins, and the glorious Ennis Cantor. But I think I think some people are kind of high on Zach Collins as far as his potential. But I think he has. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I, I have no clue how Zach Collins is doing in his career, but they seem like it was, he's been struggling, but has potential. I mean, he's playing seven, uh, almost 18 minutes a game. It looks like he's got potential, but probably not ready for the big time starting center role in a playoff series. Probably get eaten alive by Rudy Gobert. Oh, he... Cantor would get eaten alive by Rudy Gobert. Yeah, I mean, the whole season series between those two teams, Zach Collins just, I mean, it was nothing but frustration for him. Um, and Enos Cantor can't play a lick of defense, so I'm not too concerned about that. He's going to get his against Rudy offensively, but that's about it. He might not even be able to do that because there's – it kind of ebbs and flows with some centers. Sometimes centers will put up these, like, 25-point games because they're good. Joel Embiid's had these – I think he's had, like, one – He's only played Rudy Gobert like twice in his career, it feels like, but he's had some good moments against Gobert, as have a lot of bigs who at least have decent offensive talent. But other times, he'll completely shut them down. I've seen Rudy Gobert shut Marc Gasol down, or you know, most good centers, he's had games where he just completely shuts them down. I think he could do that against Ennis Cantor, and Rudy Gobert is playing really well right now, even on both sides of the ball. He's killing it on both sides of the ball. Mm-hmm. And this could be the most important aspect of the series is Yusuf Nurkic being injured, which kind of sucks because you never like that to be the main focal point of an injury. I It's still kind of weird with the whole Clippers series how that was dominated by injury because you had like four different stars from both teams combined missing games. So it kind of evened out, but it still feels kind of dirty when you win a series when the other team's best player is out like three games. Right, yeah, when they're not at full strength, yeah. So I I think in this game, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favor is just going to have their way down low because there's nobody to stop them. So I mean, Damian Lillard yeah. and CJ McCollum are still good, but down low, like, what what's Portland going to do? Sure. I mean, well, and they've got Myers Leonard too. Don't forget about that. Um, Myers Leonard's True. got a good game. He's he's a big body. He's I mean he's seven foot one. He's more offensively oriented than he is defensively. But he'll st- you know he'll, it's one of those things where the, you know this is the NBA. They're going to step up when they when they need to. So, but yeah, I mean the biggest the biggest threat for us is I mean the biggest weakness I should say is that the Jazz still not that great at guarding guards. So having now C.J. McCollum back. Um, and going into the playoffs is going to be pretty dangerous. So there's going to be something we're going to have to do to weather that storm. I mean, obviously, you make them work as hard as they possibly can to get theirs. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could basically focus on trying to lock down that paint whenever that goes in, collapse it, whatever, and have Portland try to f- beat you from deep, which they're capable of. I mean, Damian Lillard's ridiculous. Um, Rodney Hood, if he gets going... He's a threat. CJ McCollum, he's always going to be a threat. Yeah, I think 
weathering the storm is probably the best way to describe what the Jazz might have to do with Damian and uh, CJ. Because, I mean, you mentioned it historically, they've done pretty darn well outside of a few games where they just shoot poorly. And, but even then, at the end, we've seen times, I think a couple of times, Damian Lillard's had a poor game, then suddenly he just starts nailing his shots in the fourth, be really clutch, wins the game. Mm-hmm. And it, it'll be hard because you think, you know, the Jazz struggle against Damian and CJ. Can you have four games in a seven-game span where you force both of them to have mediocre games or at least one of them to have a really bad game? And keep the other one in check because you know if CJ goes off for you know three points or whatever has an awful game you know whatever, but Damien goes off for 54, then you know it's the it's the same snake biting you basically, and the Jazz have lost plenty of games with either one of those guys going off, uh, regardless of what the other one does. Sure. And. I think it's really going to depend on how well the Jazz play defense against these guys. I know we're we're pretty confident in Donovan. He's decent defender, decent on-ball defender, and he's worked well within the system. But you know, Ricky Rubio's struggle at times on defense, getting a little older, not nearly as good as he was on defense at times with the Timberwolves. And you know, Raul Neto is a little short to be, you know, dominating. I don't know if Dante Exum's even going to be back. I'm just kind of assuming he's gone for the season. Right, right. So you've got Donovan Mitchell, who's a decent but not lockdown defender, and then not really anybody else good defensive-wise on the perimeter. So the weakest position of defense for us is where Portland is best on offense, which that could be the reason the Jazz lose this series and fail to advance to the second round for a third straight year. Could be, but I mean, Quinn Snyder is so smart. He and his crew, I mean, they're going to find something that they can either exploit defensively or uh, even offensively, whether it's, you know, hedging early, switching early, whatever. He's going to find something, especially in a seven-game series. You give Quinn Snyder time to think about things, that's it's kind of bad for you, honestly. Uh, but I mean, there is also those like dark horse candidates on, that sitting on their roster uh, for Portland. Alfarouk Aminu, he can go off at any point. You got Seth Curry, who's going to be a threat uh, behind the line as well. Um, and who else? Uh, Evan Turner. He's really good mid-range guy. Oh, and Jake Lehman. That dude, I don't know what it is. He comes out of nowhere, and he can get hot fast. Yeah, so... It- in a seven-game series, those are the things that often, you know, come into play. You have the bench guys and random guys that just, you know, end up doing something, you know, random. But you do mention uh, a whole seven-game series with Quinn Snyder being able to find something. I, I do agree with that where things change in a, in a seven-game series where, you know, in the middle of the season, you get, like, a game to watch film and come like and you get, like, one walkthrough to examine – what's going on. Mm-hmm. But now you got, you know, a week or how, I don't know exactly how long they get for preparation uh, from the end of the season into the playoffs. But you get that time. Then you have after the first game, you get examined the first game film, then go into the next game and you have, you know, a day or two. I don't, I, f- I forget the exact schedule of the first round, but you know, by game three or four, 
you know the, t- the other team inside and out. Right. Which goes both ways, unfortunately, because Portland's going to know the Jazz inside out. So there's there's all these different things, which is why coaching so often, you know, Quinn Snyder's got to outcoach, um, is it Terry Stotts? Terry Stotts, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Stotts is kind of coaching for his life out there because they're hanging by a thread. This, this current core they've got is, you know, for the last two or three years, I think they've been rumoring about blowing up this core, you know, Dame and CJ. So if they lose in the first round again, you know, mm-hmm. that could be curtains for Stotts and maybe this whole core. Which would suck because I, I love Terry Stotts. I think he's a fantastic coach. And I mean, Damian Lillard even went to bat for him because I, I think front office was like, well, you know, we're thinking about letting you go. See if that's like kind of, you know, we need something fresh on this front. And Damian stood up and was like, no, I want to play for Stotts. And that's awesome. But I mean, regardless, <laughs> it's not the best matchup for us in the first round, but it's also doable. It's very doable, especially with um, – now I know we've played the lesser opponents these this last like two or three weeks, however long it's been. So, you know, the Jazz have been able to kind of – I mean, the way that the Jazz have been moving the ball has just been beautiful to watch. And I think – the nice thing is is that Quinn has this system that everyone is bought into at this point. Everyone knows what's expected of them. It doesn't matter the position they're playing, how many minutes they've been getting throughout the season. You name it. These guys are going to be ready for it. Yeah, so I, you mentioned it not being a good matchup. But, you know, the Jazz have gone into the last two playoffs with a, on paper, maybe not the greatest matchup, Oklahoma City Thunder and the Clippers. We'd lost the season series pretty badly to both those teams that same mm-hmm. year. And while Jazz fans are kind of confident about Oklahoma City, or at least I remember being confident, those weren't the greatest matchups for us, and we came out on top. We played really good point guards. Yeah. Uh, you know, now it'll be the third year in a row we play a, an all-NBA caliber point guard. And so <laughs> we'll Man. see if they can make it three times a charm against an all-NBA point guard. Yeah. <sighs> It's. It, I mean, I'm going to be on the edge of my seat for every single game. It's. It's going to be a tough fought grudge match, and I, and I don't like. It's not even bad blood to Portland. I. I've, I've always been not a fan, but I've always appreciated Portland for who they are, and the talent they've had, and they're just one of those teams that you always root for because they've had such bad luck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, Brandon Roy is a great example of that man. Like Brandon Roy was just the man. Uh, and unfortunately his knees just were, they just were gone at some point, but I, I'm excited for the matchup. It makes me nervous because obviously I want the jazz to win, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, it'll be excellent. I'm definitely looking forward. I think I'm in almost the exact same boat as you, as far as excitement and also got a soft spot for Portland as well. I've actually got a, a friend and colleague of mine or former colleague, technically, um, he's a Portland fan. And then mm. Damian Lillard's from Weber State, so, you know, in-state connections here. Right. It's easy, it's easy to forget that arguably the best professional player from the state of Utah is Damian Lillard. Him or Bobby Wagner, depending on, um, you know, there, there's a whole argument you can probably make for that. and We won't make it here, but suffice to say this is going to be a good playoff matchup, assuming that this is how it breaks down, because it's not a lock at the moment. There's things that could still happen, but... Pretty certain. We'll see. 
Yeah, we will see. Um, I did want to point out real quick, though. Um, I didn't see the numbers personally, like the specific numbers, but um, we had a huge uptick in popularity on the last two episodes. So I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that listened. Yeah, thank you. I always, always love the listeners. This is, it's well the only reason we do it, I guess. If nobody listens, we probably wouldn't do this. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many listeners we have, but I appreciate each and every one of you for listening to this disaster. <laughs> Especially for making it to the end of this, because yeah, yeah. They're, they're, you just reached the 40 and a half minute mark, so <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> but thank you, you guys are pulling through for us just like the Jazz are. They're pulling through for us now. So thank you very much. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm ready for the semester to end, but that's about it. <laughs> that's, that's a whole different matter. That's, yeah. that's not jazz related, but I, I'm with you there. <laughs> all right. Well, again, uh, another thank you to all of our listeners. And now that we're definitely back on our consistent schedule, we can help you guys out a little more and uh, continue to improve and looking forward to the playoffs. So thank you very much. And we will talk to you next week. 